The Wrestling Podcast About Nothing is brought to you by BDA Radio. BDA Radio doesn't break news, they break the news with their wild commentary regarding MMA and wrestling. Head on over to BDARadio.com and check out all of the latest news on the UFC, Bellator, WWE, and much more. They are proud to be the voice of fans because they are fans themselves. BDARadio.com I think I can sum up the show for you with one word. Nothing. Wrestling fans, there are millions and millions of podcasts out there, but there's nothing like this one. Do you ever just get down on your knees and thank God that you know me and have access to my dementia? This is the wrestling podcast about nothing. Nothing? Nothing. And here goes nothing. Welcome to the Wrestling Podcast About Nothing, Episode 4, presented by BDARadio.com. There are so many pro wrestling podcasts out there covering every facet of the business. So we went to BDA Radio and said we had a different idea for a podcast. Everybody's doing something. We'll do nothing. They said, what's your wrestling podcast about? We said nothing. And thankfully they said, we think you may have something here. So here we are. My name is Mike Crockett. I'm a longtime independent wrestling referee in the Northeast, currently on an extended hiatus from the ring. And joining me, as always, is a veteran of the New England Independent Matt Wars, the irresistible force, the immovable object. Hey there, Big Bry. It's the kingpin, Brian Malonis. I was waiting for some, uh, you know, some throwback to some former moniker I may have had in the 14 or 15 years or so I've been around. But uh, uh, thanks, Mike. This is always fun. And uh, today, uh, in, a, in a few minutes here, we're going to be joined by uh, uh, a good pal of ours. Uh, somebody that some of the fans out there might might not, uh, especially those in chaotic wrestling, uh Maybe not so familiar with, uh, but you've definitely, if you're a fan of Chaotic Wrestling, uh, you've been kind of influenced or been entertained by him uh, in an indirect way. Uh, we're talking about uh, Matt Spectro, a.k.a. Tarzan Taylor, uh, who was uh, a longtime uh, wrestler in the area. And, uh, you know, we won't get too much into his story because he'll tell his own story. Uh, right, but also he's, was- he's currently in, the, uh, in our uh, green room. <laughs> he's got the uh, a fruit plate that he's currently uh, enjoying, and uh, he'll be in here in a few minutes. Petting, petting vodka uh, like a villain right now. <laughs> She's on the uh, arm of the chair, I'm sure. Yeah. So this is uh, this podcast is probably more for the uh, you know the New England pro wrestling fans, but anyone can enjoy it if you if you ever thought about hey I could be a booker. Uh, I'm sure like uh, Tarzan will get into some stuff about about booking a, a local independent wrestling organization it's something that i'm sure that will be interesting for for all our listeners right for anybody i mean yeah if, if you think if you think uh <laughs> we're gonna hit tarzan hard uh but if you think uh, everybody likes to play fantasy booker um but wait to hear some of the stories that tarzan uh is probably gonna have for us here about really booking and what it really entails and, and uh you know uh, and having done it myself i, I can tell you uh, not always the when you're when you're sitting in the car talking with your buddies about all your fantasy booking that you're doing, um, it, it's real easy because you know it's just you talking. 
Yeah, we talked about in the first podcast the Imaginary Wrestling Association, which I was a part of. It's a lot easier <laughs> yeah. when you're dealing with imaginary wrestlers. It certainly is. So Tarzan will have some very interesting things to say uh, about that and about his own wrestling career and his own story, which is, is quite interesting. So we, we're we going to uh, ask something of you, the fans of the wrestling podcast, about nothing. Yeah, we're not charging anything to listen to us, so come on, hook us up here. Exactly. We're asking you to do something for the wrestling podcast about nothing. Be sure to subscribe to the feed on iTunes, the Wrestling Podcast About Nothing feed on iTunes, and take a minute and write us a five-star review because, I mean, you've heard the first three. that They're five-star, correct? I don't do anything less than five-star. Exactly. And this one is just going to be right up there as well. This might be a six-star podcast if I really think about it. I mean, even though it hasn't really happened yet. I, I mean, just with the guest alone, I think that's going to be, I mean, I'm sure our, our significant others would agree. At least, right? All right. Let's yeah, let's go with that. But any <laughs> so write us write us a five star review on iTunes because that really helps the podcast get out there and it helps us grow. So do us a personal favor, please. Press pause right now on this podcast. Go and make sure you're subscribed to the wrestling podcast about nothing and review the podcast on iTunes. Before we get uh, Tarzan in here. Uh, let's talk about our sponsor. People always ask me, what do you mean BDARadio.com? What does the BDA stand for? Uh, Bushwhacker Dance Academy? I'm, wait- I'm waiting for the laughs. I don't know where you come up with these things. Well, well, while we may lick each other's foreheads for fun, that's besides the point. When it comes to BDA Radio, BDA Radio means the most unique commentary on mixed martial arts and pro wrestling on the internet. They don't break news, they break the news with their wild commentary regarding MMA and wrestling. Head over to BDARadio.com and check out all the latest news on UFC, Bellator, WWE, and much more. BDARadio.com All right, so here we are. We are here with our very special guests. They always seem to be very special, don't they, Brian? Very, 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 very special. This is the most specialist of special guests we could have, I think. I believe a podcast debut, uh, if you will. Is is that true? Wow, what an introduction. Yes, well, no. We're not done yet. We're not not done yet. We're not done yet. We're still going to give you uh, your props. I believe he is the uh, longest reigning... For a wrestling Granite State heavyweight champion of all time, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, that, that is correct, I do believe. And uh, he goes by the name uh, Matt, don't call me Tarzan, Spectro. <laughs> Let's get right down to the hard-hitting stuff. Hi, everybody, before they uh, don't even let me do a greeting. So. <laughs> well, I, I, got a, I, got a, I got a I got a great question here. I might be skipping ahead a little bit, but... Should we call him Matt or Tarzan? I always call him Tarzan. It's, okay, uh, it's a wrestling podcast. You should probably call me Tarzan. Thank you so much. Oh, he loves it. Well, Thank nobody you. in wrestling calls me by my name. All right, sorry there, Brian. Go ahead. Well, I was going to ask about the when you were at one point uh, played Jesus Christ on a on a wrestling <laughs> yes. show. Yes, I did. No, 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 no. He was the man from Nazareth. I was actually the man from oh, Na- the amazing me. man from Nazareth. Oh, you were amazing. <laughs> Not to be confused with who? Uh, who did, I was just Lord wondering who did you feud with? Uh, I feuded with uh, Beelzebub or. Uh, the devil, as some people like to call him. Uh, that's jumping ahead. Highlight or maybe low light of my career. Well, that's, uh, yeah, that's kind of, we're jumping ahead. Let's get back to the uh, the very beginning, Tarzan, of your of your, of your your life. Let's, my life? <laughs> well, well uh, and I'm going to take a, a, pay, a page out of uh, Biff Busick's book, uh, Biff and Ted's Excellent Podcast Adventure, a great uh, 
podcast if you like New England independent wrestling. I'm sure there's there's a number of episodes. I think they're still up there. Yeah, very ones I heard were very very good. Yeah, so uh, this is my tribute to Biff Music. Let's paint a little picture here. <laughs> uh, so what? Got you into wrestling. What age were you when you got into uh, pro wrestling? Yeah, this is going way back because I'm older than most of you out there. Oh, uh, come on now. Uh, I don't remember what year. I was very young. Uh, my stepfather watched pro wrestling, and I didn't even know what it was, but I just wanted him to like me. Uh, <laughs> so I watched wrestling with him, uh, which is bizarre because he's really an asshole, and I can't stand the sight of him. But uh, Ooh, boy. Uh, at the time, I wanted him to like me, and I was just a little kid. And uh, I remember very uh, specifically Greg the Hammer Valentine was in the first match I ever watched with him. Uh, I couldn't tell you who he wrestled, uh, and he had two, uh, what's the, no, nah, I wouldn't call valets, I don't know what the proper, what's the 2016 PC thing to say? Uh, uh, <laughs> when, when, sloppy when, broads of Scotty Slay. Oh, <laughs> come on, we're not PC on the wrestling podcast about nothing, Tarzan. <laughs> he had two uh, ladies with him that accompanied the ringside, and he, uh, it was a, I, I just remember that, that it was Greg the Hammer Valentine. Uh, watching my stepfather, it would really probably look bad comparably because, you know, it was no frills. There was no ring entrances, just a ring. No. So is this like early 80s? I would say it's... it was probably 1982 or 1983 if I had to, to guess. Yeah. So you hopped on early. Well, and then there was kind of a gap where I didn't watch it for a little while. And, um, and then I really started paying attention and watching uh, 1985, actually, I remember. Um, cause, uh, I remember Tito Santana was the intercontinental champion. Hulk Hogan was obviously the heavyweight champion. And I watched, I really got into it in the buildup leading up to WrestleMania two. I remember, uh, Hulk Hogan and, uh, King Kong Bundy, the mm-hmm. whole, the whole rib breaking angle they did on Saturday night's main event. Now, did you uh, go to the, um, the special, uh, what are, the, what are they called? The special screenings. What are they called? Oh, the, the closed, closed circuit. Closed circuit yeah, television. Pay- no, I didn't. I remember, uh, my brother and I, uh, we rented it on VHS, uh, if you, and if you know what that is, uh, th- after it came out, because uh, we my, my, we had no money, so we didn't go see it. I watched, uh, I think it was Wrestling Challenge, and they showed the highlights, and then we got the VHS tip. The first wrestling event I actually watched live was, uh, well, I went to a house show when I was, like, 14. Uh, but the first, like, big event, I, I went to WrestleMania four on closed-circuit television, which I believe is your first uh or is that the first wrestling show you ever that's saw? First just to, like, how, like, you know, obviously, you don't have to give away your exact age, but like ballpark, like, are you a teenager? Are you like, uh, how old are you around WrestleMania 2 when you're WrestleMania when you're getting back into it? Two, I was, uh, I just turned 13 when WrestleMania 2 would happen, like about a week before that. So it's funny because like the age, the, the funny thing is usually people get into it younger and no, then you get to be a teenager and you kind of grow out of it. You're discovering it as yeah, like because I was very young, but I didn't really like. I wasn't enamored with it until uh, probably 1985 when I was about 12 years old and I started watching the buildup that went into WrestleMania 2. Now, if you're not like me and you can't do math, you might be able to get to figure out. <laughs> How old I, I am. I can't it, figure it out. We, as you heard in the last podcast, the math is not my uh, strong suit. You, neither you nor Scott Steiner. That's, that is true. <laughs> um, <laughs> Who who are your favorites? Uh, I was mostly a babyface guy. Um, like most, I mean, you know, people always try and tell you they like the heels. I really wasn't, except for I loved the Iron Sheik, <laughs> and uh, okay. I don't know why I loved the Iron Sheik. Uh, Is it the clubs? 
I, I think it was the boots and how he always did the, uh, you know, <laughs> I ran number one. I always, that made me laugh every time when he did that. Because Volkov would sing the national anthem, they'd boo, and then he would get all mad and grab the mic. But honestly, my favorite wrestler was Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. To me, he was uh, the coolest guy. I remember I refused to watch, I said I would never watch wrestling again when he lost to the Honky Tonk Man, the Intercontinental title. And well, obviously, <laughs> we it are didn't last, huh? Years the later. first of many proclamations <laughs> <laughs> to abandon yeah, professional wrestling. Ricky the Dragon Steamboat was my favorite wrestler, and ironically, my brother's favorite was Macho Man Savage. So we were not. Your Whoa! Brother. Wait a minute. So WrestleMania three, this must have been. <laughs> yeah, that was heated in the Tarzan yeah. household back then. When, when Savage crushed the larynx of Ricky the Giant. Oh, he Dragon. can't breathe. <laughs> he may have swallowed his tongue. <laughs> yes, it was very heated. You gotta understand back then. Uh, Everybody took that stuff really seriously. Like uh, they take it seriously now, but not in the same. Uh, not the same way. Now it's like, hey, this guy doesn't deserve to get a push. You know, back then it was, hey, this guy's an asshole. I can't believe he did that. You know, it, was a, it was a different era. So. Well, there was the the willing suspension of disbelief yeah. where people want to analyze everything now, or was that the right move? And you know, for the company, where back then it was just like, yeah, you're right. I hate this asshole. He just crushed yeah. the larynx of my favorite wrestler. My favorite wrestler, yeah. And he like tore up that kid's. He tore up Elizabeth's uh, flowers that some fan gave to him. <laughs> so, at what point did you decide this is something I want to do? The wrestling. Um, I was saying, um, you know, a lot of people like when they're really young, try and get into it and all. I did not at the time. I was kind of dis. Uh, what's disenamored? What's the disenfranchised? Not. I was not uh, – school wasn't my thing. I really didn't enjoy school, um, and I didn't want to go to college. I really was kind of just – I wanted to just do whatever the hell I felt like. I didn't have a lot of <laughs> motivation or ambition. So I was just working a job and hanging out and partying. And then in my uh, mid-20s uh, – well, not mid. I would say I was like 21. I told my dad at the time I wanted to wrestle, and he told me I wasn't big enough and all that. <laughs> <laughs> makes me laugh because you look at the guys now. And then I said, okay, I'm going to actually give this a shot. And I decided which to – I was going to lift weights for a year, and then I was going to try and become a pro wrestler. Which is, well, you're, you're a big guy. So, like, you're, are you just – I mean, you're obviously very uh, – people don't know Tarzan's very tall. I mean, what are you, 6'3", 6'4"? If you want to put it in perspective, I'm almost as tall as uh, Donovan Dijak. So, wow. so you're 6'4". You're, you're, you're probably, I mean, at your peak wrestling, would you say 250, 260? Uh, the best shape I was ever in, I was about 240, and that was uh, – I was pretty big, but I was not, like uh, – I was pretty lean, muscular at that point. So you're a big, you're a big guy. So it's funny to hear you say your dad said you were too small. So I'm, I'm picturing you must have been like a lanky sort of, yeah, sort of kid. I was not very good shape. Horrible eating habits. Terrible. Uh, so I wasn't athletic back then, or even going to the gym. So, but once he decided that I was going to do it, and he told me that, I, I said, "All right, I'm going to lift weights for a year." Which makes me laugh looking back because you've seen some of the losers that go to these wrestling schools now and they don't even know a guy named Jim. As a- <laughs> oh, you son of a bitch. <laughs> uh, let's uh, leave that alone. Let's leave that alone. <laughs> so you were at 21, you said? Uh, I think I was like 22 when I decided, all right, I'm going to try and do it. I might have been 23. Um, I, I know it's late for today's age. People get started early. But I think I was 23 when I decided I was going to lift weights for a year and then try and become a a pro wrestler. So this is like mid late nineties now you're talking. Yeah, I would say uh I wanna say nineteen ninety seven if I'm not mistaken. So still like an era where 
I mean, a little more. We're getting more towards the completely complete annihilation of anything kayfabe, but still not the era of where it's easy uh, now. You just look online for a wrestling yeah. school. Still hard to get in, hard to find I, a place to get in. I knew about Killer in. Kowalski School because like, in Pro Wrestling Illustrated, they talked right. about that, but I had no idea there was all this inter- independent wrestling in New England. And you got to understand, the wrestling business at that time was in the dumps. This was like uh, Kevin Nash was the WF Heavyweight Champion. Uh, they had all those gimmicks. Uh, WCW wasn't doing much better with Hogan. This is pre-attitude era, like yeah, they're where, taping Raw at like yeah, the Little Memorial Auditorium, yeah, like, like the, the, the National arenas. High School and stuff like yeah. that. And you got to say like Bret Hart, Shawn Michaels, Tatanka, One Two Three Kid. These are the guys that were like on top. So to me, I was like, well, I'm taller than Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels. I don't know why my dad is telling me that. I'm too small to be a wrestler. Bret Hart was on top. It's no wonder why the wrestling business is in the toilet. <laughs> oh, will you stop? <laughs> oh my lord! So, so, uh, so, how'd you know where to go? What to do? To uh... um, it was weird. I was working at a UPS of all places. I don't know if I can. I'm assuming. I can oh, say you, that. we'll bleep that out. I mean, that's <laughs> perverse. Get sued for royalties. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, uh, all the guys that I worked with, they knew I wanted to be a wrestler, and uh, one of the guys was in the National Guard and. He had to work security for a wrestling show at the Milford Armory uh, for Lobster Man, of all people. And uh, he told me about it, and he invited me to the – now, he didn't – I went to the show by myself, I think, and I met Lobster Man at the show. And this was amazing to me because I didn't even know, like, independent wrestling even really existed right. at that point. Right. So I met Lobster Man, and he gave me a uh, flyer saying they were going to have a tryout. So that was, like, the beginning – for uh, me getting into pro wrestling. Little did I know there was like Tony Rumble and there was uh, uh, Yankee Pro, which I think is top rope now, was oh, Yankee yeah. Pro back then, and Green Mountain Wrestling. A lot of the independent wrestling I had no idea even existed. You gotta understand, I was from Keene, New Hampshire, and it's nowhere near like, uh, you know, Boston or any of the metropolitan areas where wrestling's a little bit more. Pumpkins. Positive. They're known for pumpkins. We, we are. <laughs> Pumpkin fats. I believe we have the world record. And Jumanji. Yes, yeah. and Jumanji was filmed there. Really? I had no idea. So. Uh, where was Lobster Man's uh, gym? Um, he did a tryout at the uh, Hudson Lions uh, Hall where they were doing a show. Oh, okay. I remember there was very uh, – I remember this. It's one of the things I, do, I don't ever forget about wrestling was, uh, it was my, there was 10 people in the tryout. And uh, Big Daddy Walker, who's like my best friend from high school, he was there. We did backyard wrestling together. And then Justin Powers or Justin Shape for all those who may not – he might have had another name. I don't remember. I think it was Justin McIsaac for Justin ra- McIsaac. radio, radio yeah, fans out there. Fans. New Hampshire um, radio fans He became fans Justin Shape and Steve Bradley's WFA later on down the road. Uh, the Mike, which I don't remember his name, he became the convict. Uh, oh, Tim yeah. Walker became uh, <laughs> the, convict. the commando. Um, some other guys, I don't remember everyone. Most of us actually had a match. I think of the ten of us, eight of us at least had a match. I, it, it makes me laugh at the time because uh, I was so nervous about making it and then realizing that if you had $1,500, uh, you made the tryout. <laughs> and I met Bob Evans that day and Maverick Wild, uh, Johnny Vegas, uh, Gary Cadalis, Lobster Man, Rip Morrison. I met a lot of the guys. Some of you won't know. Sonny Goodspeed. Oh. And it was, it was an interesting experience. Uh, it was, uh, it's not like now. I don't think you'd have to do anything physical to make a wrestling school now. I think they would just ask you to pay money. Not that I don't think – I think they would have accepted me anyway uh, – being as tall as I was, having long hair at the time, and being in shape. Right, so you made you made you had a match that day. No, it was more of a. Oh, uh, okay. It was like a tryout. We went to the show, but they had a tryout in the afternoon because they already had the ring set up. Right, you had to do uh, hundred squats, twenty five push ups, a forward roll, <laughs> twenty five jumping jacks, 
And uh, you did like basic lockups with one of the guys. I remember Bob Evans of all pe- is actually the first person I ever locked up with in any kind of wrestling way. Uh, yeah, it was Bob Evans. Yeah, and Johnny Vegas was there. Maverick. So Lowe. they're kind of like evaluating like are these are these guys that we want to invest our time in. Yeah, and it was a fifty dollar tryout. So I mean, for all I know, they just wanted to make money and figure these guys might never show up again. But I I, I can't say that you never know people's motivations. Right. That's. Probably close to the truth. <laughs> <laughs> and then after that, I signed up for uh, Lobster Man's Wrestling School, which at the time was run I, in Fitchburg at, I think, Maverick Wild's dad's warehouse or something like That's that. That's Ma- Fitchburg, Mass? Fitchburg, Massachusetts, yeah. So how long did you train before you got your first match? Uh, I remember the tryout was in uh, March, and we trained uh, for a little over three months. I remember because I wrestled Big Daddy Walker in my first ever match uh, at the Hudson Lions Hall. and <laughs> I ro- You wrestled a guy like you just started with, like you guys wrestled each other? Yeah, but we were best friends, and we, we did backyards. We trained together, so we wrestled each other, which is kind of weird because most people get put in a match with a guy who like can lead them, but right, they yeah. put us together. So you already, you already had your WrestleMania match in the backyard. You're <laughs> just bringing it inside now. <laughs> and believe it or not, my first match ever was in a steel cage. <laughs> <laughs> First match, was, steel was cage. It all, was it an all cage show or it something? It was an all steel cage show. Every match wow. in a steel I cage. I can't imagine. And having 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 trained, you know, been a trainer at one point, I can't imagine taking two of my students three months in, first match ever, but no, nobody to lead the match and just saying, "Hey, go have a match in a cage." And okay. I remember specifically the only real instructions we were given: don't use the cage. <laughs> So I was going to ask if there if there's juice or anything, but I guess uh, I guess no. Basic wrestling match in a cage. <laughs> That's amazing. Well, at least you couldn't uh, spill out on the floor and you know hurt somebody that way. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but um, it was actually really fun. A lot of my friends and family came to see me. I mean, if I watched the match now, I'm sure I would I would be mortified because I'm sure it's terrible. But uh, it was a good time at the time, and I, I really enjoyed it. I wasn't very comfortable being a babyface. Um, at the time, even though I understand why they did it, I was tall. If I easy on the eyes, if I say so myself, Ooh, I had long hair. So. I was in shape. Uh, I just wasn't very comfortable. I've always had a problem. Um, it's weird. I've always wanted people to like me, but I've never really been good at it. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, we I, like you. I love you like crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just not sure. Uh, I know everyone says this, but I don't, I don't know if baby face was like came naturally to me as it does some people. Right. I, think, I think baby. I mean, I mean, things a little different from Mike because Mike's a referee or whatever. But I, I think you know, um, I feel the same way as you. Um, being a babyface has always been a challenge for me, and I think it's, it's a challenge for everybody because it's easy to get people to hate you. Yeah. It's really hard to get people to Agreed. like you and invest in you and give a shit that you're getting annihilated by somebody. Yeah, anyone can get the crowd to hate you. I can. You go out with your "I hate this town" T-shirt and uh, say, "I hate the Red <laughs> Sox." Yeah, and everyone perhaps a Giants you. jersey. Yeah. If you, will. <laughs> if you will. Um, and to back up a little bit, yeah, and uh, Lobster Man Jeff Costa, he had come up with the name uh, Tarzan Taylor. I was going to ask that. I quote, he said, I looked like uh, a young Ted Nugent. <laughs> so that was your first name in wrestling, Tarzan yes, Taylor? Yes, Tarzan Taylor was my first name in wrestling. And at the time, Big Daddy Walker was actually Dallas Austin, which I also believe was George Carroll's name at one point as well. George Carroll. I believe so. Yeah. And I always wondered where he hailed from. So now, now I mean, now this is about, and I don't know the exact time frame here, but 
kind of a a un, well Tarzan knows about it now, but the the weird connection to the Malone like it's ironic now because me and Tarzan are friends and <laughs> but uh, long before I I uh, ever met Tarzan, he met uh, my brother. Uh, the illustrious really? playboy Jimmy James is a wow. child, and my brother to this day still has a ticket stub from a show at uh, Singer Field, which is now, uh, for those of you know Manchester at all, on the river where the Fisher Cats ballpark is. There was a soccer stadium, and there was a wrestling show there, and uh, the first uh, wrestling autograph the playboy my brother ever got was from... Tarzan Taylor. I honestly, yeah, he told me about that. I don't remember it at all. I always thought autographs were kind of, even back then, I hated it because to me it was like, why the hell are you, why do you want my <laughs> autograph? I'm like, nobody. But it, it, I did it. I remember that. And apparently, I met Matt Taven when he was a kid on a show mm-hmm. I did as well. I don't remember it, but apparently, uh, he told me that I, they t- him and his friends told me about backyard wrestling, and I said something to the effect of, I hope you don't fucking kill yourself. <laughs> uh, you would never do that stuff. I don't remember that at all, but uh, it sounds like something I would have said. <laughs> no. <laughs> so and I, I, It's finally all coming together, the, the soft spot that Tarzan has for the Playboy. Yeah, see, right? I, I do oh, like oh. The Playboy is, is, the, is a long-time uh, Tarzan Taylor fan. I... <laughs> I actually love uh, Jimmy and that gimmick. I just wish he knew how to do it right. But. Oh, well, edit that out. You're gonna get yeah. you're gonna you're gonna get the Playboy upset. You're gonna get the Playboy upset. Yeah, you had him. He was in your corner for life until that very moment. Uh, so let's get into. So what happened when you moved from Lobster Man to Steve Bradley's School? Well, um, before that, there was. Uh, it was weird because we only wrestled at uh, Lobster Man's, and they 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 tend to. It was weird because they would say a lot of things like, you know, you have to get better. You have to try different things. But then they didn't like it when you did. Right. Um, I had a falling out. Something, I don't honestly, and I, I'm, I'm not blaming them. I don't remember most of the details. There was some, I was training at Bob's school a little bit too as well. He had a falling out with Jeff. And something kind of bad happened to them. And, uh, bad blood had gone on. And uh, they didn't want me to work there anymore. So I stopped wrestling there. And I wrestled a bunch of different places. Um. And I wrestled for Sheldon at that point, Green Mountain Wrestling. I'd done some top rope shows. And then I, after a while, things had cooled down, and I wrestled some Jeff shows. And then I ended up wrestling for uh, WFA, Steve Bradley's show, because uh, I'd met Steve a couple times. They and, were just uh, starting out. They were just starting out. Um, and originally they had another idea for me and my, my me and my brother were doing the tag team, the hair band, the noise boys. When did your brother, uh, that's kind of, we missed yeah. that probably. When did, when did your brother um, join? Like how long after you? I joined? was wrestling about a year, maybe two. And my brother tried out, uh, and he, he trained with lobster man as well. And, uh, he came aboard and they had him doing the Indian gimmick. Cause they said he looked Indian, which Jeff always loved. Native American. Native, Native American, American, I Native American for you non-racist <clears throat> uh, um, folks out there. If you've ever met Lobster Man, his, his big thing has always been uh, you need a baby face with a storm or lightning in his name, a cowboy, an Indian, and a gay wrestler. <laughs> so he always loved uh, Indians. He said my brother looked like an Indian. I felt bad for my brother because I, I, he didn't really like doing that gimmick at all, and I don't really blame him. It's kind of a, it was kind of a corny gimmick at that point in time. And my brother, if you ever met him, I know a lot of you probably don't know my brother, who is Mark Vincent uh, in, in wrestling. He's a very charismatic guy, actually. When he did the rock and roll gimmick, I think he was way better at that gimmick than I was. He was way more charismatic, way more felt natural than him. So I think it was kind of a waste to put him in that gimmick. So WFA is, is where uh, 
Steve Bradley put you two together, right? No, we had actually oh. been teaming as the Noise Boys a couple of places. We had done some shows for Sheldon. Uh, we had done some top rope shows. Oh, I thought Steve came up with that gimmick, no? No, they had actually had a different gimmick they had wanted to do. I don't remember much of the details. There was something about like uh, two guys who had done like uh, they had done their own calendar. And the whole gimmick was going to be they were going to reveal the calendar like they had done like, <laughs> and I guess they had wanted to do it with sounds kind of genius yeah. actually. <laughs> they had wanted to do it with uh, the egomaniacs Johnny Idol and uh, Mike Steele, and I don't know if they didn't want to do it or they changed their mind. And I was fine with doing the gimmick because honestly, I'm not one of those guys that I'm never like, oh well, this doesn't work for me. If someone wants me to do something, I'll just say hell, I'll give it a try. What the hell. But they ended up changing their mind before the first WFA show. I don't know if uh, they liked the rock and roll gimmick better or they just said the hell with it. I, I don't know the actual reason why it ever happened. I would have done it if they wanted to me. I don't, I don't care. Um, even before I was a booker, I, uh, I, it's your show. You want me to do it? I'll do it. What do I care? That's <laughs> but it, uh, it didn't happen. So we were the Noise Boys. In the, we actually wrestled in the first ever WFA match. It was my brother and me, the Noise Boys, versus Adrenaline, Brian Fury, and uh, Chris Venom. Wow. So, so the no- I got to tell a little story about the Noise Boys. I had a- <laughs> I know oh, where he's going go. with this one. I, I had a um, I was at a show. We went to a show. Uh, me, Todd Sinclair, Fat Pants, a Ring of Honor senior official, uh, a buddy of ours, Mucko, and uh, Duke Stalton. We went to a, a top rope show that was being held at the Shriners in Wilmington, Massachusetts, and. We all approached the the gate to get in, uh, and as it turns out, Todd had two free tickets, so we gave the other free ticket to Mucko, and Dukes walked in the back door because he, you know, he had a little cachet in, in New England wrestling as a local legend. Former so, NWA World Tag Team Champion. So he walked in the back door, and myself, I was the only one who paid. So I was so <laughs> miserable. I was so miserable at that show that I was the only one who paid to get in. And no one, you know, Todd, you know, Todd Sinclair, he didn't t- tell me ahead of time. So this is, I would, it was kind of sprung on me, and I was pretty miserable the entire show until... Until the Noise Boys came out, and it's not—it wasn't the Noise Boys themselves, but I forget which one of you it was. But one of you threw both your arms up in the air looking for a, for a high five, and the other one completely missed it. <laughs> so you, one of you left the other one hanging, and that was the one pure moment of joy I had that entire evening. So thank you for that very much. <laughs> Thus began a beautiful friendship. All, all, all of a sudden, that that what, that ten or fifteen dollars you paid to get in was well worth the price of it. I think I, remember, I think we worked the Power Twins on that night, if I remember that show correctly. I I, I couldn't tell you. That's the only memory I have of the show <laughs> because that's the only thing I chose to remember. <laughs> but Top Rope uh, Pro Wrestling, they uh, you know they run a great show. Brian Malonis is. Uh, been on their events, so maybe even right. some future events. Oh, all right. We'll, shout out. we'll talk about that later, perhaps. Uh, so, chaotic wrestling. Yeah, you 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 started doing shows for chaotic. Uh, like at this point, um, I felt like there should have been a yada 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 there. Yeah, there's <laughs> from, from, we still we did give a, a lot of WFA, WFA yada 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 chaotic wrestling. WFA was a great great time. Uh, if uh, maybe we don't have to talk about it, if you no, go for it, uh, go for it. WFA was a great time, honestly. Uh, Steve was a brilliant guy. His vision, yeah, he was a. a former, if people don't know, he was a long time WWE developmental talent. He was like everywhere in the developmental yeah. system at the time. We're talking about was, Steve Bradley here. We don't yes, think, I don't think the full name got out I don't there. Know if I said that, Steve Bradley, the, the, yeah, the mofo Steve Bradley. But uh, yeah, he once he was released, he started 
up in New Very ambitious. Did everything himself. The editing, the booking, uh, like everything. Very ambitious guy. Uh, he booked a lot of guys that were local. Didn't do... Uh, like uh, at the beginning, it was uh, Brian Fury was there, uh, Nikki Rocks, who became Roxy Laveau on TNA, uh, Tim McNini was there at the very beginning, uh, Eddie Edwards, who everybody knows now from the American Wolves. Mm-hmm. Um, trying to think, uh, Brandon Locke, who's now the current chaotic uh, New England champion, if I'm not mistaken, and uh, Sensational Scott Reed was there as well. Oh, I, can t- I can tell you, Tyrus, I don't work there anymore. So. Oh, <laughs> and uh, really, really good show. Steve's ideas were really, really good. It, um, honestly, it's one of the one of the first events that shaped me as a to be a booker later on, where I really saw uh, what Steve could do with someone who wasn't necessarily that talented of a worker. You know, he could. Like you? Or what are you talking about here? No, I could see what he could do booking-wise <laughs> with someone who was on the show that wasn't necessarily good. I, there's a few events that I really uh, shaped me as a booker. That was one of them. Uh, the other one was, ironically, an EWA show I worked. Um, if, uh, was it in Maine? Or was it, it was in Maine, yeah, where uh, I didn't think the show itself was that good, but they did a lot of things, like a lot of bells and whistles, and it really opened my eyes of how much of a show you can make wrestling, even if what's going on in the ring isn't all that great. I got you. And we had a great run in WFA for a while. Things went to hell uh, towards the end. I really don't want to, uh, out of respect, I'm not really going to get into much of the details of why that happened, but it ended up folding after, I think, three years. But I mean, obviously it's a, something that impacted you long-term. Like it made it pos- the overall experience made a positive impact on you. Uh, definitely, yeah, definitely. Um, it was uh, Steve put a lot – I give him credit. Uh, even though he liked a lot of the same people, he gave faith, uh, put a lot of faith in a lot of people. And uh, that's when I really started to develop as a heel, I feel, in WFA, even though I didn't really get great at it until, well, if I may say so, great at it until later on. You had a great heel laugh. I did. (laughs) (laughs) Kids, if you want to be a heel, get a rival sports team shirt and perfect the laugh. Watch some Shane Douglas. Exactly. Dick Flair. And then chaotic wrestling. Yeah, so what brought you there? Um, I had left wrestling for a little while when WFA, WFA had folded, but I was still very much hanging out with a lot of people uh, from the wrestling world. Yourself, Michael Crockett, uh, oh, Brian Fury, Nikki Rocks. Um, you kind of hung out with me. I mean, the first, I knew, I knew the, first you, the first time we met, I, I drove him from Rhode Island to New Hampshire. Yeah, I remember. It was me, you, and your brother, and, um, right. and uh, Cleon G- Genetics. Or I, can't, I don't know if I'm saying that right. Yeah, I'm sure you are. So I, I started wrestling again. I had called Maverick, and I asked him uh, if he had any spots. So he had booked me, and I had done a couple other shows. Front row wrestling. Front row wrestling. And um, I was going to some of the shows. I was practicing at the school, but I wasn't really doing much. I had done an occasional battle royal or whatever, and um, I knew Jamie and everybody there. Uh, and I think, um, if I remember correctly, uh, there was an angle where with Rick Fuller, and there was another tag team that was supposed to be involved. And they couldn't show up or something like that. Hmm. So they had asked me to do the show. Um, it was like a, bat- a Royal Rumble gimmick or something like that. I'm, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty, oh, for the tag team titles? I think so, which led to me and Brandon teaming up and working with Fred and Rick. And that's the first time I really had been booked in Chaotic as anything other than like a Battle Royal or something like that. I got you. Yeah, I think that that's familiar to me. Yeah. But uh, you didn't. Uh, you did do the uh, a couple of gimmicks in uh, chaotic wrestling you were uh the was it the north shore cowboy yeah i they had done that <laughs> persona where they had wanted me to do like i was trying to find myself 
it was after the tag the tag team thing got kind of cursed because I broke my hand. Um, so we really couldn't do much with it. I, I'd wrestle in the match with a broken hand just so we could lose to him because we didn't want the angle to get blown off. You broke your hand doing what? I had actually wrestled a match with Psycho. Uh-huh. Hard to believe Psycho, of all people, is the person I <laughs> broke my hand in the match with. But, uh, yeah, I had punched a ring post in a spot where he was supposed to duck, and but I didn't. I just punched it full on, and I broke my hand. Uh, so I couldn't really wrestle. Uh, I did the one tag match just because we didn't want to blow off the angle, but I didn't really do much. So after that, I was kind of lingering, not really doing much. And then, uh, I don't know if it was Jamie, someone came up with the idea of them wanting to do like uh, s- me trying to find myself. I was doing other people's gimmicks. And that was a good time. That actually was working really well. But uh, then you, you, you transitioned uh, into a behind-the-scenes role. Um, I think it was through my recommendation i believe in, in, so you have, me, you have me to thank <laughs> you're the one so anyone who hated my booking you have michael crockett to blame <laughs> well, it's funny because we we actually me and you got off, like at this point this point kind of like wrestling tarzan starting to transition take over with another guy that we know uh whose name kev kev bow we call him um nobody will know who he is or care who he is oh no, come um, on no. but but we get kind of off to a rough start because I, I had been the Long-time champion of the promotion over a year at that point. And Longest the, reigning. If I right. The first conversation I kind of have with you guys is, uh, and I'd always been a heel since the moment I came into Catholic Wrestling was always a heel. Literally, the first conversation I have with you guys about booking is, we want to take the title off you and we want to turn you babyface. Okay, how do you want to turn me babyface? We don't really know yet. Okay, I don't think these guys want to book me anymore. <laughs> <laughs> if I look back, like it makes me laugh now, but I had no idea what I was getting into when they said, all right, we're going to give you a shot as the booker. It was me and Kevbo. And I didn't know Ke- uh, Kevbo was not very popular with a lot of the boys. And uh, I, so it didn't start off so well. A lot of people didn't. I don't think they didn't like me. I just don't think they liked what was going on at the time. And I don't know, I don't know much about the book. I'd worked some shows, but I, I – I'd done the booking, and I'd just shown up and did what was ever. So apparently the booking wasn't too popular even before I got there, so what I'm told anyway. And you and I had gotten along fine, but then we had a really bad start uh, when I became the booker. Right. I actually – I mean, I I think Mike knows this. Uh, I was working for the promoter, Jamie, in my real job too, and I went up to his office, and I told him I wanted to quit wrestling because I (laughs) – but I mean to – and it's not being a baby about the booking because I really don't care about about being champion or, or or bullshit like that. But it's more just long lines of these guys want to immediately take the belt off me, want to change everything I've ever been, and they don't have a way to do it. It sounds like to me they don't really want to use me, but they're using me because I'm of my friendship with the promoter, and I never want to be the guy that. Get, you know, I get booked out of convenience or favor rather than I make your show better. But I mean, th- and that's definitely was the basis behind it. Even yeah. though you you were telling me the truth, it, but I didn't believe it. That no, no, we want to use you. We just yeah. want to do this with you. But at first, I just didn't. I didn't buy it. I wanted to book for a long time. I wanted to just try it. And uh, Croc and I were friends, and he had known that I did. And they, he had thrown my name in. I, I don't know if it was just because they had nobody else to do it, but they gave me a shot. Yeah, you um, didn't really. You were, didn't really know much about jamie at all right i really... met him a couple times we were friendly but nothing really beyond that um and i um there was nobody on the roster at the time i didn't want to use i only my only concern was that i felt a lot of the same guys have been used so i thought we needed to change up either who the top guys were or just change the way the guys who were there would be booked uh it was rough at the beginning uh the booking committee was not very popular even before i got there and I remember I, I showed up at a booking meeting, and it was you and both of you, and Todd was there, and Brian Fury for some reason, Adult and Jamie. <laughs> and 
I'm just sitting there. I wasn't saying anything because I just didn't want to ruffle feathers. I wanted to start. And then there was complaining about this, this, and that. And then, uh, I mean, I guess it doesn't matter now, but there was 20 straight minutes talking about Scotty Slade, of all people. And uh, <laughs> I was like, <laughs> Scotty was like, was he a ref at the time or was he like managing a woman? I mean, was he even, what was he even doing at that point? I couldn't. And I'm thinking to myself, do I really want to do this? We're spending 30 minutes talking about the most insignificant (laughs) guy on the roster. Oh, Scotty Slade. At the time. At the time. Good friend. At the time. As a dear, close, personal, longtime friend. And um, it uh, it was rough at the beginning. I I didn't really know how to book because I was booking a lot of stuff, thinking in my head television because that's what I'd been growing up watching. It took me a while to adjust to booking like independent wrestling that's mostly just built for the crowd buying a ticket and not the actual like you know, people on TV and stuff like that. Right. It went well. Uh, took a while, though. Took a while. And how long did you book for? Uh, I started after Cold Fury 10, which was 2011, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I booked all the way until uh, about the summer after Cold Fury 13, and I took some time off because of my personal relationship. My girlfriend at the time really didn't like wrestling, and it was causing some problems. And I took some time off. And then uh, the illustrious Kingpin took over the booking at that point. Who? <laughs> when I came back, it was uh, he and I for uh, together for the last, uh, uh, I'd say it was six or seven months going into right. Cold Fury 14. And kinda, I mean, this kind of talks about, this is almost like the progression of our um, relationship here now because we get off to a rough, rough start. You had booked for a while and you had decided to step away. And then I took the book and realized I was kind of in over my head. And I think I kind of, pleaded and begged you to come back and help me and i think we could be a great team and you were apprehensive at first but i think that goes a long way the rough start business i mean because i think we, we we're always friendly and have morphed into friends at this point yeah, I agree. um in, in life but um rough start with you first getting the book and me just being a wrestler and then our relationship kind of came full circle there me reaching out to you because i had that respect for you and what you were you know able to accomplish and the things I saw you do and say, Hey, I'm struggling. God, I would love your help. And, um, you know, a lot of people think this, but I was, even though I was the booker, there was, I don't think there was ever a time where I made every single decision without somebody else's input, whether it be yours, Jamie's adults, Kev Bo's like of the roster. So, uh, really, that, only on the very important issues, right? Nothing, nothing <laughs> minute or <laughs> trivial. I, I didn't say, I think uh, a booker is, uh, people don't understand how much it goes into it. You, I mean, I was literally like booking the shows, contacting the guys, finding out who was going to work, uh, making every match, writing the storylines, writing the, the, the videos we filmed, trying to direct the videos, communicating with who was editing them, communicating with the referee's manager. And it's just a lot of work. And there is no person that <laughs> nobody just goes with the flow when it comes to uh, running a show, whether it be a referee, a wrestler, you know, ring announcer. You name it. So um, there were some good times. Uh, I, I really enjoyed the when I came back, the build-up Brian and I did to Cold Fury 14, correct? It was Cold Fury 14? Cold Fury 14, that, yeah. That whole show, that whole month, I thought was a really, really good time, very successful. I, I really feel like I should have quit at that point because uh, <laughs> things didn't go so well after that. Even at that show, there were things in the show I didn't really care for, but I don't know if we're jumping ahead because uh, uh, we've gone from Cold Fury 11 to Cold Fury 14. <laughs> 14. <laughs> Being a being a fellow fellow chaotic wrestling booker, oh, so uh, you kind of have that always have that feeling of like being pulled in. I feel twenty different directions, but um, for people listening at home, probably a lot of them don't even even a lot of the 
a lot of the wrestlers who may listen to this don't have the experience of having to book a show. Like, kind of take us through, if you can, like, just the experience of trying to put together show after show, match after match, stuff that makes sense, and then also balance the fellas, the boys. Well, I mean, it's pretty difficult. I, I uh, One piece of advice Jamie gave me, which I actually thought was solid, was uh, try and figure out your end game and go backwards. That would help a lot. Um, so I would usually start there. I think at the beginning I didn't anticipate um, how – no other way to put this how big of a marks a lot of the boys are um and like you know they don't want to put this guy over they don't want to do it in this method they want to do this they want to do that they don't want to do this like it 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 was very difficult i i, I think in my head i was like okay I'm, this guy's gonna wrestle this guy we're gonna build this angle and then easy peasy done no problem um but then you know uh i realized um you know you have to make i didn't I don't pay the people to work the shows, so I can't say I've had enough of you. You're done. I'm, I'm not going to book you anymore. So I, you have to kind of work a little bit to appease what these people want to, a, to an extent. Um, you've always used the analogy of not letting the inmates run the asylum. It's a lot easier said than done when you're writing the checks and putting on the show yourself. Right. So, I mean, just to kind of set the, the, the stage of, I don't know, sure, you know, not everybody might be familiar how chaotic wrestling works. Tarzan or myself at different times with a booker or bookers and Jamie, the owner always would have final say. Cause ultimately he's the guy writing the and, and, and that's not a bad thing. It's not a criticism or anything. That's just the guy writing the checks ultimately is going to have the final word. Vince McMahon technically isn't the booker of WWE, but he signs the checks at the end of the day. So he makes a decision, yeah, right. which I don't have. A, I just, he had, Jamie had a problem to me of being selective of when he wanted to have a say and other times not caring. So it got kind of difficult at points and you probably went through it too, where you would have all these things planned out and then you find out he doesn't want to do that after you've already mapped it all out. Then you have to go back to the drawing board. It's certainly, well. it's certainly a challenge, you know. I mean, plus I, you can't always anticipate how the crowd's going to react. So certain people get in their head, Hey, I'm going to do, this is just an example. I'm not saying this ever happened. Like, we're going to make Todd Hansen, I should say, Warbeard. Is it Warbeard Todd Hansen? Ring of Honor Superstar. Ring of Honor Superstar Warbeard and Ring Hansen. of Honor Tag Team Champion You want to pick up that name you just dropped there? <laughs> and this didn't happen. I'm just saying, let's just say I want to turn him babyface. Like, just because I have that in my head, if the crowd's not buying it, you can't just keep going forward and trying to do that. I, I've always felt you can't go against the grain. Like, And if you watch what's going on in television now, not to become a, a tired uh, – critic of wwe uh, the roman reigns thing i think is a fine example is I, I just don't feel you can go against what the people want anymore it's not like the 80s where a guy turns babyface and everybody loves him anymore so i think a lot of people don't really anticipate you can come up with a great idea but if the crowd's not buying it you know back to the drawing board. yeah it's back to the drawing board right plus injuries you can't injuries guys take other bookings you know uh, there's all sorts of things that go into it and it's just very difficult. I, I got really good at it, I, but I was not like I didn't walk in the door and I was like Paul Heyman and I was like a genius of uh, it took me a while to really get good at the booking of chaotic wrestling. Right. And I mean, I would say having been a guy who worked with you on many, on many different levels, I, I worked with you as being the top guy, worked with you being in the middle of the card and I worked with you as as a partner on the booking team. I actually think, um, you know, the one thing um and I mean, I guess maybe I'm not the most unbiased guy because we are such good friends. But the one thing I, I said to I said to Jamie, uh, 
numerous times was I don't think you realize what you had in Tarzan because a good booker is very hard to find. And, and I'm, again, this isn't like a criticism. I don't want to turn this into a criticism or the burial of Chaotic Wrestling or Jamie or, or anything like that. And that's not what this is intended to be or anything. So if anybody takes it that way, I'm, I apologize now and you can text me later. Um, but, um, for instance, you were kind of talking about some of the, some of the stuff. Um, and and we'll, hell with it. We'll just put this story out there and – Whatever happens, happens. But Uh-oh. Cold Fury 14 we talked oh about. And, and you had mentioned, <laughs> oh, being, <laughs> you had mentioned very, being very proud of that event, as, as I was too. I, I think I, – I remember I remember both of us when Chase uh, went over for the title at the end. Of, Chase Del Monte defeated Donovan Dijak for the Chaotic Wrestling Heavyweight Championship. Wait, and who? We have, we have a – Oh, Ring of Honor Superstar. Yes. <laughs> and we have a full – Top prospect winner, uh, Donovan Dijak. There you go. And we have a full house, and they're, and they're really up for you know Chase winning. I think there was us that – I remember that we had that moment of like looking at each other very happy and satisfied of like we just put on a really good show and the, um, yeah, but there was that moment of the Jimmy Preston versus um, Brian Fury match where um, there was uh, lots of rigmaroleing and but ultimately we had to change the finish of that match um, and and this kind of goes along the lines of I get if you're the owner of the company and you don't want a certain guy to represent your company as the face of your company, but Jesus, aren't you paying us to be the bookers to decide who goes over in match four? Yeah. Well, yeah, there's things like that, that I don't, I guess if it was established beforehand, um, but that was always, I don't want to get into the details of what we changed, but we had a certain thing in mind and then it was planned for quite some time. And then it got changed. That was the kind of things that I didn't care for. Like, it's not like these things I kept secret and then you found out about them later. You knew about them all the time and things got changed. So I didn't care for that aspect of wrestling. And to back up a little bit, you know, I, I, I do think that uh, myself and Brian were good bookers. I'm a really good booker. But I was given a very fortunate hand. I had an amazing talent. I had an amazing locker room full of really talented guys that made my job a lot easier. So I, I do give credit to most of the boys that I had. I had, you know, Brian Fury, Tommaso Champion, Brian Malonis, Chase Del Monte, the Logan brothers. Uh, Warbeard, Donovan Dijak, Matt Taven, Biff Busick. I mean, the line goes Sasha Banks, uh, Max Bauer. Like, I mean, I had a lot of really talented guys, so I might not have been as successful if I had a worse locker room. So I do want to give credit to all the guys that I ever booked on any wrestling show. One, one thing I actually love to talk about, I know we, were, we said we kind of weren't going to talk about super specifics, but I think, I think, and I don't know how you feel about it, but probably your best piece of booking was the Mark Sherman angle. Um, so, you know, and, and I will say like the burial of Mark Sherman is kind of freaking tired at this point too, because I actually think he's turned himself into a serviceable wrestler and, and, and the guy can get over with a crowd. He's just charisma coming out of his ears, but nobody really at the point you were at when you were the booker, nobody believed in this guy. He had been at the school for a long time. Yeah. Everybody uh, hated him. Everybody, yeah, nobody, nobody liked Sherman. And, um, but you saw something in him. Um, and for those, again, people who aren't familiar, Tarzan did this booking with... Yeah, we do have a worldwide uh, podcast listening audience. So we gotta, <laughs> right. We really get specifics. Uh, yes. But Sherman was this guy who was a student, introduced him on the shows. And, and as, so as a booker, you're now you're telling this guy, hey, you're going to go on a losing streak, but at the end of it, you're going to be super over. I mean, go through that. Like, all right, um, I will say of all the things I've ever done, I, uh, as much as I really don't 
care much for him nowadays. I'm the most <clears throat> proud of what I did with uh, Mark Sherman because that was the one angle I booked completely on my own without anybody else doing. I've done other angles. Like the best angle I ever booked, I feel, was uh, Sean Gorman taking over Chaotic Wrestling. But that one, you know, I did with you. I did with a lot of other people. The Mark Sherman one is the one angle I did completely on my own as far as the booking aspect, which I was really, uh, really proud of. Um, and <laughs> it all started because, you know, I saw this guy who was good looking in shape, tall. He had a lot of charisma. Uh, tall, 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 most, most tall. important of all. Yes, I, I get people, uh, I get my balls busted all the time for liking tall wrestlers. But uh, yes, he was tall and he was charismatic. He was a funny guy. And then he, uh, he hadn't worn on me, but everybody else really hated him and thought he sucked and didn't want to give him a chance. So um, I was like, well, we got to do something that will highlight this guy's personality, but will hide the fact that he's not a very good wrestler. Um, and I thought about it for a long time, and I really hadn't come up with a lot. And then I remembered I really, really loved that angle on Monday Nitro um, where Chris Jericho was feuding with Dean Malenko. And he, he was saying how he was better than Dean Malenko because even though Dean Malenko had 1,000 wrestling holes, Chris Jericho had 1,001. And if you remember, he had that big uh, scroll of reading all of his moves that right. he had on Nitro. And they went to commercial break, and they came back, and he was still listening Arm to moves. Bar. yeah. And I love that angle. I'm like, well, how can I do that every week? And then I'm like, um, maybe if every time he loses, he makes another challenge, but he doesn't, he challenges someone different. Like he's going to keep going until um, he beats someone. Uh, So it started off with one name. I remember Biff Busick was the first guy he wrestled. And then I said to him specifically, I said, all right, the next show. Wait, wait, Biff Busick? um, WWE Superstar? NXT Superstar, Christopher Gerrard. Okay, Um, (laughs) And um, I think the next show he wrestled, he might have wrestled you. And I said, just specifically mention, uh, I'll challenge anyone but Biff Busick. And um, at the time, one of my... Uh, criticisms of chaotic was they really wouldn't let things they didn't give things time to grow i felt like they thought if something didn't work right off the bat they were going to go back to the drawing board um not to get on a tirade i mean a sidetrack but when they did the uh, episode of uh when they turned psycho heel and said that uh he was on his medication they they dumped it too quickly i felt i think that could have worked a lot yeah uh so i explained to sherman i said look we're gonna have to do this for a long time for this to work like you're gonna have to lose for a long, long time. Um, and, uh, be- and I said, one of two things is going to happen. You're going to get like so over because of this, or everyone's going to hate your guts so bad. You're going to become the, the biggest heel in the promotion. I would like to say that, Hey, uh, I knew it was going to be a huge success and he was going to become the most over guy. Um, but I'm not going to, I, I hoped it would, but I didn't know that was going to happen. And, uh, it took a while. Um, I don't think people got it for a long time. I think he, they thought he was just an annoying guy talking and losing. But then when he got up to about like uh, six or seven names and it kept going and going uh, and we did the videos, I think people were starting to catch on. And then it became like this guy that you hated losing to people starting to want to see him win. Even developed like a group of fans. Yeah, the the, uh, the Shermaniacs. The Shermaniacs. Yeah, there was a group of fans. Do they even come to shows anymore? I have no idea. Yeah, I think a couple of them remain, but it was like a little bit larger group at at one point. And they were giving him a lot of hype online and whatnot. And um, I was like, all right, this is starting to work. He's getting over. And people were telling me that you you got to have him stop this. And I was like, no way in hell I'm not doing that. This is working. Uh, And Cole Fury was like three months away. So I'm like, if this guy's going to win a match, let's have him win at the biggest show of the year. And have him win the chaotic countdown. So um, how long was the from his first match to to that Cold Fury? I think it was. Uh, I honestly think it was ten months of uh, 
of that happening. Uh, and it's like one to two shows a month at least. Yeah, because we did about, about two shows a month weeks. back then. So it was probably like, uh, I want to say like uh, probably June or July going all the way till Cold Fury, which was uh, March, I think, early March. And that's a tough sell to say to a guy, hey, you're going to... Yeah, you're going to have to tell a guy... You're going to lose for the next 10 months. You're going to have to lose. And at the time, <laughs> Sherman didn't care. He just wanted to be on shows. I don't think you could do that with a lot of guys because people really take winning and losing serious in wrestling, surprisingly to me. But uh, I think he was just happy to be on the shows at the time. And then we put him with Scotty Slade during the thing, and that started to work as well. Our close friend, Scotty Slade. Yes, our close personal friend. No longer the most insignificant. No, no longer insignificant. Scotty is now on the show. <laughs> oh, boy. And I don't think Scotty cared for it much at the beginning because I, I think he wanted to do more of his own stuff. But it really, really worked uh really well i remember some really good highlights the time he wrestled uh rick fuller being one of my favorites where uh he had gotten beaten by tommy dreamer the show before and he came out with a big thing of uh get well cards of people hoping he was okay and the final one was like from rick fuller saying i hope you feel better because i'm gonna kick your ass tonight and then then rick came out being rick and just destroyed it and kicked his ass kicked his ass like literally yeah um but that was, re- and then it culminated with uh, cold, the countdown, Cold Fury countdown. And I was very specific. I said, Sherman, you're, you're going to win this, but you can't eliminate a single person. You have to win completely by accident. And I will, the place went crazy when he did win that match. If you go watch and watch that video, uh, that, that crowd went nuts. And I remember that live. That was a. That was Cold Fury 12, and the crowd went crazy for that. That really, and, really, really worked. And for worked. Sherman, like, it really is. I don't know if that's what you were going to say next, but Mike, but for yeah. Sherman, I mean, literally, the, the guys and the guys, I, for people who don't know Mark Sherman, Mark, Mark Sherman is actually very passionate, like, loves, loves wrestling, <laughs> really loves wrestling, like, and it means something to him. Um, yeah. For those of us that know Mark, rest, wrestling in general means something to him. So here's this this guy who grew up this huge wrestling fan, and you just told him he's going to lose for ten months, and then when he finally goes over the place, and and these are the days of the PAV, so there's 250, 300 people crammed in this room that no more than 150 should probably be in, and they're going right. crazy because this guy just won. So Sherman, I mean Sherman was in tears, and it was like it was actually a really awesome, and it, totally not making fun of the guy at all, really great, awesome, genuine moment, moment yeah. genuine yeah. moment, great yeah. moment. I was very, very proud. One of the most proud moments at the time that I spent as a booker was that moment. Really went well, and he ended up becoming uh, like the top babyface for a while in our company. Um, but I'll give him credit as much as, like, he drives me nuts. Uh, a lot of guys couldn't have done that and lost for so long. I mean, a lot of those matches were squashed. They were, like, one-sided. So, uh, I'll well, give him. there was one, though, it wasn't. That's when his career ended in Wolverine. And, <clears throat> and I'll, I'll say this. Um, he wrestled Chase Del Monte uh, in that. Um, and that was the first match that someone actually, like, did a back and forth with Sherman. And I'll say that's the first time anybody carried Sherman to a good match that I'd ever seen. So uh, that was, but he had wrestled Tommy Dreamer, he'd wrestled Rick Fuller, uh, Nikki Rocks, who was you know TNA uh, TNA knockout, Rocky uh, Roxy Laveau. Um, Wow. He uh, wrestled Mikey Webb. I mean, everyone. I don't think he ever wrestled Brian Fury, which I'm sure Brian would have relished in knocking his block off. But that never actually uh, happened. You wrestled him though. I remember that. I was on the list twice. Yeah, (laughs) twice. Good for you. But that was a good time, good angle. We did a lot of good videos. I really enjoyed that time of, uh, I think you wrestled Matt Taven. No, it was Matt Taven and Casey Ray. They did a, uh, a mixed tag or a mixed 
Yes. First, I don't know what you call him now. Intergender. I don't know what it was, but Scotty and him wrestled Taven. And, so you were the innovator of the intergender match. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, exactly. just overall, just like I said, and for those, the, I mean, and because I think a lot of chaotic fans will probably be the ones listening to this. So, but just a really fun, good angle, you know, for the crowd. And, and, and like I said, just, I just wanted to illustrate and, and have you kind of go through having to tell a guy you're going to lose for 10 months, but also to kind of, hey, talk, you know, I know you. Hey, hey! If your booker's looking for a booker out there, no. oh, there you <laughs> go. I'm offering Tarzan's <laughs> service. No, I just wanted to, tar, Tarzan and, and and from somebody again. I I get to work with him many different ways. You did too, Mike. I mean, in a different way. You were rep, but you right. also worked behind the scenes. Um, but um, one of the best bookers I I've ever worked with. So oh, you're making me blush. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, though, it was. Um I complain a lot about a lot of stuff that went down when I was a booker, but for the most part, I'm, I'm happy with most of what I did. And it, there's really no feeling like uh, an angle you came up with watching it unfold and the crowd loving it and it being successful. And again, that also I have to give credit to everybody I ever booked who made those angles happen. So you're in a positive place now, right? Yeah, I'm in a pot. I've left wrestling. Um, I, I left it on a bad note. I wish I had left it under di- different circumstances. I don't like the way it did end. I'm not really upset that it's over. Uh, I would like to book again. I just don't know if I could do it where I'm not running the show. Like if there's someone above me uh, telling me what I can and can't do, I, I don't think I can deal with that anymore because I just can't put up. At this point in my life and my age, I can't, I can't. I'm a supervisor at my real job. I can't put up with people like uh, not doing what they're told. And if, you know, if I'm not paying them, then, uh, which I've never understood, and it, uh, not to go on a tirade, but I don't understand how guys, uh, <laughs> they ask you to book them, you book them, you pay them, and then they tell you what you're going to do, they tell you what they're not going to do. I, I just never understood the mentality, and, and who gives a shit? You lose a match at a VFW <laughs> in front of fucking 50 people, who cares? I don't understand why people get so worked up about it, so. That's why I just agreed to everything Tarzan ever wanted me to do. I just <laughs> say, yeah, sure, boss. Yeah, that's how. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, it's my freaking podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I really do miss it at points. Doing this podcast is making me risk, miss it. Uh, but it would honestly have to be uh, a lot of money or something. You have to have a cash windfall uh, so, y- so you can run the show. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you have to be like uh, the, another wolf and, man. And like I was talking to uh, Brian Fury about a month ago. I, I don't know if, uh, if New England really needs another wrestling organization. I mean, there's a lot out there. It's kind of oversaturated. So I, I don't I don't I don't I think know. Maybe something in the Granite State would be nice. I would I'm like to do something because New Hampshire doesn't have a lot of wrestling. I would like to do something like that. Or if somebody wanted to, I wouldn't mind taking over an existing. Honestly, I've always said I've wanted to book uh, NECW for Sheldon because he has the. Well, I don't know if he still does, but the TV to me was like a was a super creative market that I never got to do in Chaotic. So like actually booking a weekly TV show is really intriguing to me. I would love to be able to do a bunch of things that I couldn't do in Chaotic because they don't have TV. Because a lot of the ideas. Um, I had, and I'm sorry if I'm long-winded here. Um, no, go for it. One of the problems I had the first year is, like, I came up with a lot of ideas that I really liked, but a lot of them were TV ideas. You know, they don't work. Right, um, when you're running once every when three you're weeks. Running, yeah, once every three weeks. So the idea of having television, like, I remember I had this ridiculous idea of Tommaso versus Matt Taven where if Tommaso won, he got a date with Casey Ray, and I had this ridiculous idea of, on a date where Matt Taven would be, like, uh, have sunglasses and a trench coat behind a newspaper, like smiling <laughs> on them, and, and they would get into a fight. And, ta- and uh, Tommaso would like put them in like an ankle lock on like a ski ball table or something like that. But I-, I laugh about it now, thinking, "What the hell was I thinking at the time?" Uh, I mean, I ended up kiboshing it, but uh, I like it already. <laughs> but yeah, like it's just 
And a lot of people don't – like the most common thing I ever heard when people complained about what I did, well, this is what they do on television. And I want to say, well, we're not on television. And like, and, and then people – how many times did I give the speech in the locker room? Like, hey, no one's forcing me to wrestle here. If you don't want to wrestle here, hit the exactly. bricks. Yeah, like, exactly. I mean, there's plenty of other places to wrestle. So. Independent wrestling is the capital of like, oh, man, I don't really want to be doing this. Why do I still do this? But – well, you're still here, like somebody's holding a gun to your head. Like you can leave at any time you want. There's no contracts. There's yeah. nothing. And it's not paying your bills. It's not. That goes back to when I was just a, a worker on shows. People would bitch to me about the way they were being treated, and I would always say, uh, "Well, you don't have to wrestle here." Like I remember front row wrestling. Uh, I had a blast in front row wrestling. I mean, Maverick didn't draw a lot of people, but I had a great time, and uh, it was always fun. But um, a lot of people bitched because they didn't like where they were being booked or that he booked guys he liked over them. And I was like, you know, I don't necessarily disagree with you that maybe it would be better business-wise to book different guys, but it's his, it's Maverick's money, so he can book it any way he wants. If you don't like it, you don't have to wrestle here. So I've never understood the logic of uh, I'm going to bitch and moan and I want this change and that change. If you don't like what you're doing, then it's just like your job. If you don't like your job, quit. But I, I don't know. Um, so... I don't want this to be negative. I did enjoy a lot of the booking. Let's talk about the positive things. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. We're, well, we're we wrapping up here. I think Mike's got something positive queued up here. Uh, something, uh, you know, maybe explain to him the concept of what we like to do here, Mike, well, on the yeah, wrestling we, podcast about nothing. We do, um, we do a, we take a look at one of the great promos of from the past. Oh boy! Uh, on on the uh, wrestling podcast about nothing, and and we like to share them with the world. And this one is uh, one of the best. It's it's from a little-known... Actually, it's an independent federation in um, in uh, Little Rock, Arkansas, <laughs> called IPW. It's from the late 80s. And it actually says, best wrestling promo ever. Yes, that Can is you the... you go wrong with a title like that? <laughs> if you want to look it up on YouTube, that's the, that's the name of it. And um, it's someone who has not really had no fame whatsoever until this video got out there <laughs> online. So... Let's take a listen to this uh, promo with the the great Jumpin' Jeff Farmer. Here we go. Oh, boy. Earlier we talked to Jumpin' Jeff Farmer. Let's go now to that interview. Folks, there's Jumpin' Jeff Farmer. Jeff, a while back, what a match you had with Motley. Yep. Probably the hardest match I ever had in my life. But I don't like it when things aren't my, going my way. Motley Cruz, you turned the tables on me. You turned the tables in a wrong way. You've got me mad now. I've stood around. I've listened to everything you had to say. I've did everything necessary. But when you turn around and you backstab me one way or another and you treat, cheat me out of what's rightfully mine, that's when I get angry. Now I'm the one doing the challenging. I'm issuing a challenge to you, Motley Cruz. Get in the ring with me. This time, I'm going full force. Jumping Jeff Farmer. Now let's go to the ring. So yeah, th- what, what, do you, what do you think of that? What do you think of jumping Jeff Farmer? Tarzan? That is terrible. That makes me uh, yearn for a Mikey Webb promo. That's how bad that is, right? Doesn't that take that take you back to the uh, to the days of uh, going to the CTC for those? Uh, those wrestling camps, now, now known as the New England Pro Wrestling Academy. It's funny and, you say that because I used to like give these guys uh, like input, and then t- uh, Handsome Johnny, well, uh, ROH Tag Team Champion, uh, Warby Hanson, said to me, 
don't waste your time. We're only we're trying to crank through this as much as possible. And I'm like, yeah, I don't know what the hell I was thinking because that was terrible. <laughs> but sadly, I've seen much worse. Uh, that's the, the worst part of it. Now, well, Booker, what would you do with jumping Jeff Farmer after seeing that magical promo? <laughs> I, I, I don't know why that would even be aired, to be honest with you. That's one of the worst things I've ever seen in my life. Well, it was recorded earlier today. <laughs> you ever watch like these promos and be like how the hell did anyone say that's great let's let's let people watch this like i remember we did a you'll remember this fondly we did a mikey webb promo it took us an hour to him to get it right and i being saying passable i would say was is being a compliment and then we never even aired the damn thing because yeah, uh, brian fury got hurt brian so fury got hurt happened. and then we had to go and all apologies to Mikey Webb. I love Mikey Webb. but uh, He's much better than he was. Yes. Well, th- uh, thanks uh, for having me. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we were talking about the uh, the fantasy camp. And uh, I remember one time you, you, you showed up on a, on a weekend just looking to train. And you had no idea that there was a fantasy camp happening. So you just ended up sitting there amongst the fellas. <laughs> And uh, they're going around the room asking, like, you know, who you are oh, and boy. who you are and, you know, what what you like and, like, who your favorite wrestler is. And I know that you said, uh, what did you say exactly? I said, hey, my name's Matt. I had no idea there's a wrestling camp going on today. And my favorite wrestler is Tommy Dreamer. Tommy Dreamer is well, your favorite wrestler. We're going to put that to the test. So, yeah, go ahead there, Kingpin. How well does, does Tarzan Taylor, Matt Spectro... No, Tommy Dreamer. Well, that is uh, Mark Sherman's good, close, personal friend, Tommy it, Dreamer. It is. I don't know if you know that. But we have five true or false questions here. Oh, boy. And I want to see if you, if you can get them right. All right, ready? So just, just true or false on these answers. And I'm, right. I'm officiating this. So All right. I'll stay out <laughs> it isn't official. Tommy Dreamer was trained by Johnny Rods. True or false? I believe that is true, actually. That is true. Right. I, I, that one I knew. I knew that one's true. Yeah, we played this game uh, last episode, and, and Mike didn't know half the answers. <laughs> <clears throat> Tommy Dreamer was the final ECW champion. No, I believe uh, Rhino was actually the final, or Steve Carino. I don't believe. Now, are we was... talking about the ECW? Are we talking about the WWF version? The WWE. I'm talking about the original. I ECW. don't believe Tommy Dreamer was the final. I thought it was Rhino or Steve Carino. So you're saying I'm going to say false. You are correct. Tommy Dreamer held the ECW Tag Team Championships with the Sandman. That is false. Whoa. He only ever held the heavyweight championship. Three for three, for three so far. All right. There better be some uh, hard ones here. I wanted to dig way back into the IWCCW days. That's what I want to say. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> there's, only, there's only two left here. I don't okay. know if I can do, like, suspenders there. <laughs> <laughs> Tommy Dreamer was both an intercontinental champion and a hardcore champion in WWE. He was the hardcore champion, but I don't believe he was the Intercontinental Champion, so I'm going to say false. You are correct. Ooh. So we're down four to the, for four. We're down to the final one. Can, four for four. Can Tarzan be stumped? Can we stump Spectro? I don't know. I don't know. Let's see. Tommy Dreamer is a poor judge of wrestling talent <laughs> and comes up with terrible gimmick ideas. For a certain local wrestler with amazing dimples. Oh, <laughs> oh brother. Well, he comes up with poor ones? Is that what, you, is that what the question was? That's right. Let me repeat the question. Tommy oh, Dreamer Jesus. is a poor judge of wrestling talent. Oh, boy. And has had terrible wrestling gimmick ideas for a certain local wrestler with amazing dimples. So you're saying those dimples should never be hidden? 
I, exa- exactly what I'm saying. <laughs> I'm going to go with uh, True. Day, five for five. How about oh, that? Oh, my goodness. We're not even going to mention who the local wrestler is. It's not we won't <laughs> even mention. It's not even important. It's not hype. I, I do like. He I, does know somebody named Jim, by the way. <laughs> God damn it. His brother's name is Jim. So. It, you know, people joke, but uh, honestly, uh, before I ever booked, I was a big t- fan of Tommy Dreamer. He's the, actually the only guy that uh, we booked uh, that was like a name that I actually really had to fight hard not to mark out when I uh, actually met him. Um, <laughs> which is weird because we booked uh, Jimmy Hart, Sonny, um, uh, Eugene. Um, i trying to think of some other people we uh, booked. Uh, uh, we booked some other names, which I can't think of at the top of my head. But. I can't come up with a single one myself. I remember Sonny <laughs> and Eugene and Tommy Dreamer, Scotty Jimmy Hart, Hottie. Scotty Too Hottie. Um, there was one other person. And which, oh, Hockey War- Talk Man. And Warbeard Hansel and yeah. Hansen wrestled them all. <laughs> <laughs> and the Hockey Talk Man. All right. On that note, we better, uh, we better start wrapping up here. So uh, let's go by so fast. Yeah, it did. Uh, it's wonderful to have you here. Now, uh, Tarzan, let, let's uh, get out your uh, social media so everyone can uh, follow you online. <laughs> well, um, <clears throat> I have no uh, social media. What? <laughs> I uh, I don't have a Facebook. I had a Facebook. I got into an argument with my girlfriend, and I said I would never use it again. I haven't used it since. <coughs> I don't have a Twitter or uh, Pinterest or Instagram. Or, uh, Mike, Mike is just Snap- trolling Tarzan Snapchat. at this point. I have a phone you can text me at. I, Brian Fury loves to give my number out to would people. Would you like to give your number to, to everybody <laughs> who might listen to this podcast, Tarzan? I prefer not uh, because... If I wanted to talk to you, you would already have my phone number. We'll, we'll publish it on the uh, on the description of the podcast. Perfect. And, uh, Let's do that. Now, I honestly, um, every time I go on social media, I actually get angry because of the, the horseshit people put on there. Like, um, you know, I don't need to hear for the uh, 119th time that Bob Evans is proud of some guy who did something successful in wrestling. <laughs> so I don't really uh, go on to that, and I don't need to hear when Sasha Banks or uh, Tommaso's on NXT or that. Everybody is their best friend, and they love them. So, uh, and this is not a knock on them. It's just a knock on everybody wants to drop the names of people that they worked in a VFW with back in uh, 2003. Um, I, I, honestly, I just don't uh, – I, I, I don't have much of an interest in uh, social media. I'll occasionally go on to see what's going on in wrestling. but uh, Occasionally. Not, not very often. You know. Plus, I'm still friends with so many guys in the wrestling – well, I wouldn't say so many. You two, Brian Fury, Scotty <laughs> Slade. And uh, Ray, the Ray, for those of you going way back. Wow, uh, a Ray Diorio <laughs> reference on the wrestling podcast the about nothing. The guy hasn't been in wrestling since, I don't I, probably 10 years, but he knows more about what's going on in independent New England wrestling than anybody <laughs> I've ever in. met. He's plugged in. He's plugged in, man. He's on the Twitter machine. He must be listening to the podcast. There you go. There <clears> you go. <throat> so, yeah, honestly, uh, more power to you if you like social media, but it's just not my it's not my bag, baby, as they say. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Tarzan, well, we better, better let you go here. Uh so we get to yeah. wrap this thing up. Yeah, this is this has been fun. Uh, so, uh, you know, I think it was great having Tarzan. Uh, I, I, I made the comment of, of the people that we're, we're going to have on, um, and, and this is not a knock at you, but a lot of people outside of New England, some, some people in New England might not be familiar with you or, or what you've done. But I, I've argued, or not argued, but said to Mike, I think um, arguably will be our most entertaining guest, I, I think, uh. because – I think you're a big personality. I think you're an interesting guy, and you've also had a number of very interesting experiences. You, know, you got in the, the uh, you got the mellow version of me as well. So, uh. and I have, <laughs> I have I have big ideas for the for Tarzan in the future. I'd love to uh, 
have him come back and, uh, you uh, know. Well, maybe we can discuss some sort of re- recurring role because I, 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 would, uh, this was enjoyable. I wasn't sure I, I would feel about this podcast, but I had a good time. It's actually really good and reminiscent about, very cathartic, if you will, to uh, unload a little bit about the world of wrestling and my involvement in it. Even though I never was, uh, you know, famous, I still had a good time and I enjoyed it for the most part. And uh, honestly, everyone out there listening who's in wrestling, uh, just know what it is you want to get out of wrestling and then go with it. If you want to be in WF, make it happen. If not, you know, just enjoy what you do. But don't make it bigger than what it is. And the, the, the words of Tarzan, the words of Matt Tarzan Spectro. There closing it out here. Ah, thanks for having me, guys. It was a pleasure. Thank you very much. Thank you, buddy. All right, so on to the nothing happenings as we uh, start to wind down here on the, uh, on the episode. Brian Malonis, you are uh, hitting the highways and byways, crisscrossing this great nation of ours. I think if you listen to episode three, I think my call to, to book the kingpin works, so I want to do it again. Hey, you want to have the kingpin on your wrestling show? I am pretty damn good at this professional wrestling thing, and as you can hear from the podcast, that I'm pretty damn good on the microphone, too, if I do say. Hey, I'm not one to toot my own horn, Mike, but... Uh, <laughs> Toot, 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 you know. But, yeah, so I'll I'll be around. Uh, uh, Just added, hot off the press, breaking news. Wow. Can can you even release this? Of course I can. Okay. The kingpin Brian Malonis is coming to Fall River at the Police Athletic League. That's the hometown of Bobby Cruz, isn't it? I think it is the uh, hometown of Bobby Cruz. Perfect. Tongue twister. Uh, but I'll be coming to making my Fall River debut for Top Rope Wrestling uh, on Friday night, May the 20th. So check them out on Facebook and Twitter and all that good stuff. Uh, that's Top Rope Wrestling. The 21st, uh, the, the Kingpin World Tour comes to Newbury, Massachusetts for Atlantic Pro Wrestling. Find them on Facebook and Twitter as well, AtlanticProWrestling.com. Myself and the unequaled one, Todd Sopel, taking on Demon Ortiz and the Juggernaut. John Poe. This is one that's been built up, at least on this podcast. It's going to be epic. It's, it will be epic. Uh, and then on what to the, June. There's okay. more. There's more. Wow. I told you. Things have exploded here. June 11th, I make my debut for RWA. Really? Against Pro Wrestling Savior. If I knew how to record, <laughs> we'd have an excellent interview with this man. But we'll be a future guest on the wrestling podcast about nothing. Pro Wrestling Savior, the Juice JT Dunn, hooking up with the Kingpin Brian Malonis. So wow, fantastic. That won't be one, that'll be one you won't want to miss. That's in East Greenwich, Rhode Island. Again, RWA, uh, Revival. Uh, I'll have to look up what the RWA stands oh, for. I'm a, bad, I'm a bad wrestling podcast host. Uh, and then June 18th, uh, Top Rope Red Wrestling in New Bedford. So check them out. RWA, Top Rope Wrestling, Atlantic Pro Wrestling, all uh, great local New England promotions. If you're, if you're out there looking for something to do, uh, you know, check them out. All right, so uh, into the home stretch here. Let's Before we get going, I want to give a special shout-out to the podcast with little talent but lots of extra belly fat. A man walks into an arm bar, BDA Radio's MMA podcast hosted by Chad Alden and Paul St. Ammon Jr. Find them on BDARadio.com, and if you don't subscribe on iTunes, Chad of 5000 will knock you the hell out. <laughs> he certainly will. So, okay, follow us on Twitter. BDA underscore radio at BDA underscore radio. That is the the um, for both the podcasts for Man Walks Into Iron Bar and their wrestling podcast about nothing. The official uh, Twitter for BDA Radio. Plus, you can follow me at Crocsox. That's S O X and uh, Brian Malonis at at Brian Malonis. 
Fantastic. And be sure to use that hashtag PDA for BDA to get a shout out on an upcoming show. And for all your MMA and wrestling talk, lock it in to BDARadio.com. All right. This has been episode four. It was a great episode and we'll see you next time. And for Brian Malonis, this is Mike Crockett and thanks for nothing. <laughs>